Well, good morning, church. We have a, a, a serious, a, um, a weighty text again today. We had one last week, another one today, and it's one of those um, kind of gut check passages with a lot of good truth in it, one of those that hits you kind of square in the face and kind of wake you up a bit. Maybe you played sports or growing up and you had the wind knocked out of you at some point, or maybe you, you've ever received a phone call that really caught you off guard and woke you up to something. This this is that kind of passage for me. It's serious. It's attention-grabbing. So we're just going to jump right into it. First um, Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. It's on page 953 if you're looking in the Pew Bible. But, but last week, God call, or Paul called out the church for acting immaturely, acting childish. And today, he's going to continue that and show why it is so important for the church to act actually act like the church, to do what we do here on a Sunday morning as a gathering, take it seriously. It's what we're called to do today. So once you find 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 17, would you please stand in reverence for the word of the Lord? According to the grace of God given to me, Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, help us see today that your word is more valuable than gold, even fine gold, and sweeter than even honey. Help us treasure it. Spirit, help us. Amen. You may be seated. Paul is in a long kind of argument saying that the church needs to behave and think like the church is called to by Jesus. He's been rebuking some specific attitudes of pride and some behaviors of division. And here Paul kind of goes below the surface and says, this is exactly why I've been correcting you, because we want you to actually behave and to think and to look like the church God wants you to be. He's saying to the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago, he's saying to us as Chippewa Valley Bible Church, 2,000 years removed from Paul, that God cares so much about our church, so we should care how we reflect him. We should take what we do here seriously. The main point today is this, that God cares deeply about his church and how his church is built up. God cares deeply about his church and how his church is built up. You may have noticed, even just, even just listening to this passage being read, there's, there's a metaphor, there's an overarching analogy here regarding building. The word foundation is referenced. Paul talks about being a skilled builder and even laying the foundation that there's even building materials mentioned here. 
So he wants the Corinthian church to view what they do as a, as a body together as a building. And this building is not completely built up yet. It's not perfect yet. And people like Paul and Apollos already mentioned, leaders, elders, church members, congregation coming together are joining in the building up of this church over its history. But like any building project you've ever had, it can be built improperly. You can have an unstable foundation. You can structure something poorly. You can forget that there's a certain code of safety and you can do it by your own standard. Paul is saying God cares so much about his church and he's given us his word, his building code for how a church should behave and believe and think. And we should take it seriously. God cares how each church is built up because the church exists primarily for the glory of God and God deserves all of the glory. So how we think and act and behave and believe, it matters because we exist for him. So we should care how God wants us to build up the church. God cares about our church right here. He cares about Chippewa Valley Bible Church. We are just one local church and thousands of churches right now. Now, we're not the biggest. We're not the smallest. Most people around the world have never heard of Chippewa Valley Bible Church. But do you know who has? Do you know who delights in Chippewa Valley Bible Church. Do you know who loves this church so much that he sent his son to die so that we can do what we're doing? Do you know who delights and loves all the churches around the world uplifting Jesus? It is God. He cares so deeply about what we are doing and who we are. So he cares how we behave and live and think and he knows best and praise God he's given us these building codes, these instructions, the word of Christ, so that we can be built up to be the church of Jesus. In our passage today, Paul's going to really show us how seriously God takes a church. We're going to look at three evidences that God cares about his church so much. And the first one is this, God cares about his church so much that he has given his son to be the foundation of the church. God cares so much about what we're doing here that he has given us his son, Jesus, to be our foundation. Paul is quick to state the foundation is Christ. Everything is built upon, supported by, structured, strengthened by the foundation of Jesus. If a church is not founded for Jesus or existing for Jesus, it's not really a church according to Paul. Look at verses 10 to 11. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Why? Why take care? Why is this a serious thing? Verse 11, for because no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Paul says he's the one. Paul laid the foundation in Corinth. He, he founded the church. This is not prideful saying, look at me, I'm the boss. He's saying, no, according to the grace of God in verse 10. So all by the grace of God, God's one who guided Paul. God gave the wisdom of Paul. God gave Paul all the strength he needed to build this church. It's all God, but God uses servants. And God sent the servant Paul to plant and build Corinth. He was there on day one. By the way, do you know who the skilled master builder is of Chippewa Valley Bible Church? Do you know who founded this church 89 years ago, by the way? Lawrence Oman. 
89 years ago, by God's grace, God brought Lawrence into our area and gathered other people to form this church. And what, you know, Pastor Lawrence Oman founded this church on is the same thing that Paul founded Corinth on. You know what that is? Jesus Christ. Paul makes it clear that he founded this church, but he made sure the foundation of the church, the content of the church, the source, the lifeblood of this church, what makes the church the church is Jesus Christ. That's verse 11. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ. I mean, in your mind right now, picture where you live, your house, your apartment, whatever it is. You can probably see your kitchen, your living room. You can see your hardwood floors or your carpet. But all of those things are only safe and sturdy and actually helpful to you because they are all connected to the foundation underneath. Your kitchen was built on your foundation. Your walls are structured and attached to your foundation. The stability of your house is directly connected to the strength of your foundation. Paul says there is no stability, there is no gospel safety, there is no God's glory safety unless that church is structured and resting on Jesus. It is not a real Christian church if the church is not resting on being strengthened for existing for Christ. So Paul's job here as a pastor, as a church planter, as a preacher, is to keep everything founded on Jesus. It's ludicrous to believe that a church can function as anything but that. In a chapter before, what did Paul say? His goal, his aim in his life is what? To make Christ and him crucified known. He wants to know nothing else but that. So everything he does, how he preaches, how he shepherds, how the church is organized, how they function is focused and centered on Jesus, on the cross, on the gospel. So this passage here in chapter 3, though it's maybe kind of a, a little bold, it's no surprise. Christ is the foundation. And this goes with the rest of the Bible. I mean, in Matthew 16, Jesus says to his disciples, to Peter, on this rock, I will build the church. Jesus starts the church. It's Christ. And how does he start the church? How does Jesus bring a church into being? All the Christians around the world, how did they come into being? Because Jesus died for the church. The famous passage about husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, right? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what? Gave himself up for her. Her is the church. Jesus brought life to the church by dying for the church. He gave himself up for the church. It's not like Jesus put a little bit of money and had a little startup company and says, okay, church, go live. No, he had the plan for the church from before eternity passed. He executed the plan. He did all the work. He died for the church and he brought it into existence. He was crucified on a cross so that we can do what we are doing right now at 1030 a.m. Jesus was crucified on the cross for the church to bring up a people to himself. Right? We live in a day and age where it's so easy to donate money to a cause, right? To be a co-investor in a business. We can throw money at something and make a difference and we can get involved as much or as little as we want. And that's a benefit. That's wonderful. But God didn't just like start up the church and then leave. He didn't just throw some money at it or put some people on the task to oversee it. God did all of the work. Jesus' death is proof that God is the one who is before. 
He's under, he's over, he's through everything that makes a church a church. Only by God can a church exist, and only if the church is connected to Jesus can it thrive. Will it be a church that God approves of? God is so, so for what we are doing here this morning. He is so for Chippewa Valley Bible Church that his son's death makes us us. The church, universal, all global Christians, and our specific local church here is here because of the cross. Where there's no cross, there is no church, no salvation, no forgiveness of sins, no hope for us to actually sing about unless Christ is on the cross. Paul elsewhere says in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, without the death and resurrection of Jesus, all that we are doing right now is vanity and foolishness. But if Jesus was crucified... If Jesus was resurrected, this is a serious business. And do you know the crown jewel? Do you know who the crown jewel of Jesus' life is? Do you know what the apple of God's eye is? It's the church. We are his bride. He suffered in a way that no one else has suffered. He, he faced physical torment that we can't imagine, but also he bore spiritual torment. He bore the wrath and anger of God for sin he did not commit. And guess what? He did it as a servant with delight in his heart because he knew he would receive us, the church, as his reward. We are the reward of Jesus. We are his church. The cross is the foundation for the church. So God cares so much about how we live together, what we worship when we're together, why we worship, what we do, because our existence costs God the Father his son, and God cares so much about us that he gave his son to be our foundation. So this matters. So what does a church founded on Jesus actually look like? Paul is making a huge deal here in the last couple of chapters that a church that's planted or a church that's existing needs to be founded only on Christ and Christ crucified. So does this mean that every sermon we preach has to just be John 3.16 and that's all we're going to touch? Obviously, I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here, but Sometimes we hear a verse about being found on the gospel, founded on Jesus, and we think all that means is I have to recite the gospel ABCs every single Sunday, and that's it. And those ABCs matter. They do. But friends, we are in 1 Corinthians. We're working our way through it. We are chapters away from a lot of topics like spiritual gifts. We're topics away from actually talking about lawsuits. You know that lawsuits are mentioned in the Bible? Or singleness? or marriage, or the role of women in the church. This is stuff that's deep and it's practical. So should we not talk about these kind of things because all we need to do is lay our foundation on Jesus? Absolutely not. Because a church founded on the gospel of Jesus is a church that seeks to do everything to make Jesus known in our singleness, in our marriage, how we deal with lawsuits or what we don't do with lawsuits or how we view women in the church. Everything, even if a passage does not mention Christ crucified, the passage is about how we live under the cross. I mean, chapter seven and eight of 1 Corinthians, we're going to talk about marriage and singleness for a while. The cross of Christ is, is, is mentioned there a little bit, but not explicitly like a John 3.16 or like where we are here in 1 Corinthians 3. But marriage and singleness will not be healthy, 
will not be what God ideally wanted unless you are looking at Christ as the foundation in your singleness or in your marriage. So it matters. Or think of chapter 12 on spiritual gifts, right? We're going to learn about what spiritual gifts are. And there's not really an explicit reference to the cross of Christ there. But if we don't bring the cross of Christ into this conversation, we are going to use our spiritual gifts wrongly. The point of spiritual gifts, the point of singleness, the point of money, the point of everything is what? To make Jesus known. So we keep the spotlight on Jesus. So a church founded on Jesus is a church who behaves and acts and thinks and prioritizes all that will make Jesus known. That's why, you know, in sermons, practically, we always get to Jesus. He's the point of what we are doing. So we got to get to Jesus. In our ministries, in our events, our functions as a church, we don't do them just to have a busy calendar. We do them because in their own unique way, they put the spotlight on Jesus. All right, tomorrow night, a bunch of men are going to be meeting in the fellowship hall, which is a scary thought. Not a woman in here at all. Are we doing that just because men are bored and we want to get men out of the house? Now, many of you wives are thinking, yes, take them, please. But we don't just do this for a social club. We could just become a social organization, a nonprofit. But no, we are the church. We're going to have a group of men here. Why? Because we want men to befriend each other, to point each other to Jesus. We don't just meet to meet. We meet because Jesus is the point. But we are... We are humans. We, we at times even get Christianity messed up in our mind and we get in a routine and we think selfishly because it is possible. It is possible for us to show up on a Sunday or to come to a church event and not even think about Jesus. You know, that's possible. We can do good deeds and we can make friends. And yet if we took Jesus out of the church, would we notice right away? We can do Christian things without having Christ, and that is scary. And that is losing the foundation. Essentially, it comes down to this. Are we coming to church? Are we coming to our individual Bible reading? Are we coming to church to know Jesus personally? That's the point. Jesus is a person. He's not an abstract idea that we rally around. No, he is a person. Are we coming here to know him there's always a danger for churches to lose sight of their foundation and build it upon something else, right? Already we've seen Corinth was trying to build their foundation based on the personality of the preacher, Paul and Apollos, right? His personality is what matters. They began to follow Paul and Apollos and they left Jesus at the door. Some churches are tempted that way. Personality preaches. Some churches are tempted to make their church founded on some cultural issue of what they stand against or what they stand for. And whether they are right or wrong, that's not the point of the church. Some churches become known as being the church that has this good program. And that program might be very good, but is the church rested on it, the program? If that church takes away that program, the church fails. Guess what? It was not founded on Christ, but on that program. A lot of warning here, a lot of good things we can be distracted by. But Paul is saying, if you don't make Jesus the object of your affection and your worship, we are building a wrong foundation. There's a lot of warning here, a lot of evaluation. We essentially must remember who made us us, who made the church. 
It's Jesus, and he's the one who's our foundation. If we begin to do this church ignorant of Jesus, then we are about to build something unstable that will have no eternal impact. And if we go out on our own and build on our own ideas of what we think this church needs to look like without coming to the person of Jesus, we are going to be eternally unstable. God sent Jesus to die for us so that we can become his church, his bride, and we have a faithful covenant with our husband, Jesus. We are called to be faithful in what he has asked us to do, to not go out and build our own foundation, but to come to him intimately and personally. And I pray that in our individual hearts, but also the heart of our congregation, that we never lose sight of the care that Jesus has for us. And he is the point here. He is the source here. I pray we never try to build on anything but Christ. He cares deeply by us. So be encouraged and be in awe of him that he would save us, but let's take this seriously. But it gets a little even heavier. This is the second point. God cares so much about the church that he will judge or reward all who build upon his church. God will judge or reward all who build upon his church. That's one of those gut, gut check truths in the Bible. And this applies to all of us, okay? But specifically in the context here, Paul is writing specifically to pastors. So this is kind of a, a weird thing, right? I'm preaching a passage about my own calling before you, which is kind of weird, right? It will apply to all of us. We'll get there at the end. But if you are a, a pastor, you're a church leader, you have a, a ministry under you, or you aspire to be an elder, aspire to be a leader, be very alert of this passage. Look at verses 12 to 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Paul continues his building analogy. He says, all who build up the church are going to be held responsible by God through a test. How anyone, but particularly here, pastors and elders, build the church up will be tested and evaluated by God in the future. Right, the last chapter and a half or so has been an argument about Paul and Apollos. Chapter 4 that we'll get to next week is about the ministry of the apostles at the church. He's really saying, this is for those of you who aspire to lead. What you do with the church God has entrusted to you will be eternally evaluated. A, pastor, a pastor's job is simple. It's to build up the church to rest on the foundation of Jesus. And all that they do, to preach, to teach, to shepherd, to call, to behave in a way that points people to Jesus being the foundation of life, to be so connected and anchored and structured in Jesus. And they're called to do this well with intentionality, with seriousness, to work hard at building up the church in Jesus. We don't ever move, along, move away from Jesus. We go closer and closer and deeper and deeper in Jesus. But Paul mentions here, that some of the work of these builders, of these pastors, of these church leaders, their work is weak and useless. 
Verse 12, Paul compares building materials. There's two sets of three here in the comparison. The good, the sturdy, the long-lasting materials are gold, silver, precious stones. Then you have a set of the weak and the temporary materials, wood, hay, and straw. Now, don't read into the specifics here and think, I wonder if our church is gold or silver. It doesn't matter. Okay? It's not an anniversary present here. The point is to compare the sets of three. The first set of gold and silver and stones represent a work that is eternal, that will last forever, that is done in a way that God affirms and God delights in. In verse 14, we see that one day there's going to be a judgment. And judgment often in the Bible is represented by fire. And these gold and these silver and these stones will endure the fire. Those materials hold up in fire, which means they will endure the test and God will be delighted in it. However, the wood, the straw, and the hay, what happens? Well, metaphorically, right, they catch fire, which means that the ministry done that is represented by wood, straw, and hay will not last eternally. That God will not affirm or delight in the work that was done. And that is scary. Paul makes it clear that this judgment is not about heaven or hell. He makes it clear in verse 15 that even if one of these builders did not build properly, he will still be saved, right? If he's a Christian, he's regenerate. He's not going to lose salvation. You're not going to lose salvation, but his work will not last. This is why it's a weighty and serious calling to be a leader in the church. It's almost like if you could see yourself doing anything else, then do that. To be an elder, to be a deacon, to be a volunteer who's shepherding a ministry, to be a Bible study, to step up and do these things is a joy, it's a privilege, but it's also serious. And there's going to be eternal ramifications. God himself in his holiness and his authority will evaluate how we did with the ministry entrusted to us. There's judgment, there's rewards. We're going to look at application in a second, but compare the judgment and the reward. Verse 14 is mentioned, uh, the phrase, the day. I'm guessing in your translation, the word day is capitalized. There's a day set in time, right, where God is going to, going to bring all people before him. And then he'll send some say, yes, you have, affirmed, you have received Jesus, welcome into eternity. You have rejected Jesus, you will be condemned to hell. But that's not what's talking about here on this day. On this day, all Christians, all work that we have done, we will be held up to the standard of God and God will look at us and judge us based on our deeds. And specifically here is mentioned, those of you who've been entrusted with a ministry or a church, there will be an evaluation of that. To give account for the deeds of the body. And in verse 14, if their ministry survives the fire or the test, they will be rewarded. Now, what is the reward? I don't know. But other passages like 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, Paul talks about how his greatest reward he ever can get as a pastor is the joy that was brought to his people through his ministry. I think overall, the biggest reward we're going to have is that we get the affirmation of the Lord. The Lord will be joyful in how we shepherded his people. And there's no greater affirmation than that than from the Lord. But the other side is, is the judgment for those who did not build properly on the foundation they were given in Jesus, who did not faithfully fulfill their calling, it says their, their, their work in verse 15 will be burned up. All of their toil and their sweat and their energy and their ideas and their thoughts, 
all consumed by fire because they did not faithfully fulfill the calling that Jesus gave them. They built their ministry or church improperly on wrong foundation, wrong standards of the Bible. Right? If we preach or teach or lead in any way that takes people away from relying on Jesus, or, but to rely on, our, on me, myself, my ministry will be useless. It's like hay being burned up. If a minister leads people away from Christ and his ways, even to other maybe good things, their ministry will be like wood. It's burned up. When you use this illustration, imagine that you for a whole year building your house or your cabin, right? You're putting your work, your hours into it. After you work, you run up to the cabin and start building on it. You have your blood, your sweat, your tears, everything into this house and this cabin. And you get to the last moment, the last nail you're putting in, and all of a sudden it just burns down. How would you feel? You'd feel devastated. You're sitting there watching your last year's work burn to the ground. That's what Paul is saying here. If we don't build up the church in the way that Christ wants us to, we may see all of our work and toil and energy be burned and not last. So how do we, how do we apply this? Obviously, to me, it's a bit strange to preach a passage about pastors like I'm preaching at myself to you. But I think there are things that all of us can do to take this passage seriously as a congregation because I don't think any of us want to be in a church where we will have a front row seat on the last day to everything that we did being burned up. We want this to be biblical, to be right, to be up to the code of God. And this church matters, so we want to pass this test, this fire of God on the last day. So what can we do to build up this, this church to the joy of the Lord. Just two, two brief applications here. First one is to pray for your leaders at CVBC. Pray for your elders, your deacons, your Bible study leaders, your ministry leaders. Pray for them. There is a lot in the New Testament about qualifications of leading in a church, a lot about calling and the burdens. And we need and we, we love your prayers. Pray with this passage in mind that we will build up a church in a way that God approves of, that it will be on the foundation of Jesus and Jesus alone, that our personalities and our preferences and our values that aren't with Christ will be removed. Right? Pray for us by name. And I'm, so, I'm so privileged to serve alongside of other elders and deacons and staff here at this church. And one of the greatest blessings, but we see the challenges, we see the burdens, the difficulties, the sorrows. And I want you to join in on praying for them that they will continue to serve well so that on that last day, Jesus will look at them and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Pray for us, please. We want to care for the church as God cares for the church. But second of all, this passage reminds us that there is there is no shortcut to Christianity. There's no shortcut to Christianity. This is the other application. This passage is mostly geared towards leaders, and many leaders here seem to be making their own path in church leadership to take a shortcut to success or to health, to take an alternate route, and it could be endless things, right? Creating a, a church built on someone's personality to get a big following, to get a lot of people at church. That was happening here in Corinth. Some churches just build their church just based on morality. We're going to be the church that stands for X. 
or we're going to be the church that just entertains people. Whatever we can do to get people in the door, no matter if it costs us our doctrine, we'll get them in here to get people in the pews. Those kind of shortcuts or alternate routes that go against Scripture, those will not pass the test of God. But for all of us, whether you are a leader or you are not, this is an application for us. There is no shortcut or alternate route to Christianity. Our job is to follow Christ as He has called us to every single day. From a pastor's perspective, right? I don't, I don't pave the way. No, I look to what Jesus has already paved here in the gospel. How has He told us to lead? What kind of heart should we have? How do we structure our church? How do we preach? What does an actual loving church look like? We don't make our own way. We take the way of Jesus. And it's same for all of us. At times we want a quick and an easy fix of life. But sometimes our job as Christians is to live daily life as a faithful Christian. It may not be flashy. You may not convert 100 people in your life. But your job is to walk on the path of Jesus, how he has carved the path. So we may not become a church that grows by 100 people every year, but if we are walking with Jesus, loving him, loving people, evangelizing, being discipled, then who cares? We do as Christ does. We don't take shortcuts. It's about seeking Jesus for the long term every single day. Eugene Peterson, a pastor, he once called Christianity, he called it a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. I like that. Brother, sister, if you are pursuing, every, if you're pursuing Jesus every single day, where you work, where you live, where you play, with all that you do, all your responsibilities, your money, your parenting, if you're pursuing Jesus, you will be rewarded by Jesus on the last day, even if you feel like you made little impact. Stay faithful every day for all your days, and that's the way of Christianity. That's the calling of a pastor, the calling of a Christian. This is a sobering part of the text, but it's there for us that God cares so much about the church that he will judge and he will reward based on how we built up the church. But third and finally, God cares about his church so much that he dwells with his church. Dwells with his church, right? He doesn't just start the church and leave us. No, Jesus died and resurrected and then gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us forever. God planned for us to be a church in eternity past. He makes it happen through Jesus, and now he gives us the Holy Spirit to live in us and our church. God has never left the church, right? God has never left the building. That's why he's better than Elvis, right? Elvis was a musician a while back, in case you didn't know. God is so uniquely present with us as a church. He cares about his church so much that he has made his dwelling, his home here with us. Look at verses 16 to 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Paul ends this part of his argument with a punch here. He's saying to the Corinthian church, you guys need to take your church work and life and ministry seriously because you are God's temple. God is in you. He is here among you, seeing this and living with you. Do you remember those moments maybe in school where like your teacher would leave the classroom to go make copies or go to the bathroom? You remember that as a kid? 
and everyone would be silent for like the first couple seconds, but then all of a sudden, chaos comes in, right? Paper airplanes are being flown. Kids are running around. Everyone's standing on their desk. But the moment you hear those footsteps in the hallway and the teacher grab the door, you sit down as if nothing happened. We at times think that sometimes maybe God is left for a little bit. We can kind of do what we want and think how we want to think. When he comes back, we'll we'll get our act together. But right now we're going to do what we want as if there's any moment that we as a Christian or we as a church can live like he's not there because he is here, period. Individually, he's with you. We get to 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to talk a little bit more about this temple language of how you are a temple. So what you do with your mind and your heart and your body matters. But here in chapter 3, Every time he says the word you in 16 and 17, that's a a plural you. Again, it's like what we talked about a while back, the you guys, the all y'all, the you-ins. This church, you all are the dwelling place of God together. God is so uniquely present when his church gathers here in Chippewa Falls. God is residing here with us. He's not just looking above us, checking in on us. He's all around in what we are doing. So he's not just supervising. He's dwelling with us. So what we do together matters because we're bringing God into it. So you see like when Paul is critiquing the church for being prideful or divisive, what the church is doing is trying to bring God into their pride, trying to bring God into their division. If we gossip, we're trying to bring God into that conversation. Does God dwell with sin? Absolutely not. We are one with God here as we gather together to glorify his name. In the Old Testament, they had actually build a temple and have to go to this temple to be in the presence of God. But for us, we have it way better. We have God in us, the Holy Spirit, living and breathing in us. We are in the presence of God at all time. And as we gather to sing, to preach, to pray, even in the lobby, God is here among us. So Paul is saying, guys, take serious what you are doing. You're doing it in the presence of God. You know, our Bible studies, our sermons, our singing, our, our, taking ki- our taking care of kids in nursery and in Sunday school, our, our food pantry we have, our lobby conversations. All of these are done in the presence of God. And are we building a, a house, a dwelling place, a temple for God that he would happily reside in? One that is up to his standard of scripture of the code or one that's below. God is both uniquely here, and this is both a warning and an encouragement. Now, there's a very strong warning in verse 17 that I pray never applies to our church. In verse 17, it says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Is there a much more serious verse in the Bible than that? This is a warning that if anyone tries to come into a church or come to the gospel and remove it and kill it and get rid of it, God is going to take them seriously. If anyone tries to change the gospel, to remove the doctrine of Jesus, to get rid of Christ and Christianity, they will come face to face with Jesus and they will be condemned. This is about false teaching, a false gospel, and God will deal with them on that last day, guaranteed. But I pray it's not the case here I think the warning for us here at Chippewa Valley Bible Church is remember that everything we do as a church, we are doing before God. And this should create a good sense of fear. There's a healthy fear we should fear with God. 
He is the all-holy, all-perfect God. Do we fear him? I mean, the way that we treat our fellow church members here, that's before God. Even the way that we treat them only in our minds. The way we sing and what's truly in our hearts when we sing is before God. This should be a warning to us that we should come authentically because God, by the way, sees through all of our hypocrisy, does he not? We come authentically to come to obey with our burdens, with our sin, with our distractions. We give them to God and we lay them aside with our sin, our selfishness, and God will be right there to receive it. But it's a fearful and a sobering thought that everything we do as a church is before God. So there should be a sense of reverence and awe that we have as a church. But also, there's a sense of encouragement in this. We are God's temple. God is in us. He's with us when we gather. The all-holy creator, the God of all authority is here right now. He's not distant. He's not in a different zip code. He is here and he is so for us gathering together. He is so for what we're doing as a congregation. God sees our singing to him and he delights in it. God sees our attentiveness to our brother, our sister. He sees our attentiveness to the word, and he is delighted in it. The creator, all-holy, powerful God is here with you and me right now. That is called grace. This right here is an evidence of the grace of God. What love he has for us. He chose weak and foolish sinners like us to make his temple, and he loves to be here with us. That's amazing grace. This passage is a serious one, a heavy one. And God takes our church very seriously because he loves this church so much. So what we do here matters. How we do it matters because God is with us. So I pray, church, I pray CVBC, that there is maybe a sense of heaviness right now in this room with this text. We're called to. This is the tone of the text. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're here and you don't belong to a church. Maybe there's a sense of heaviness in your heart, and I ask you to lean into that. Look to Jesus. Come join us on this journey of being the temple of God together. But if you are a Christian, if you're already part of this church, let this heaviness kind of settle in. And each week come with a sense of awe that God would give us one another to glorify Him. The cross has led us to be a part of a church I pray that you have a sense of thankfulness in your hearts that we get to do this together. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that before eternity passed, before even the invention of time, you knew you were going to send your son to die for his bride, the church, and that we get to come on Sunday, even a mundane, normal Sunday like this, we get to come and sing and pray and gather. What grace. I pray you open our eyes to see the seriousness and the importance and the blessing it is for us to do this together as a church. Lord, we pray that as we sing one more song, that you will receive this worship. You see our hearts, you're here among us. Receive this, for you deserve all the glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen.